the Bible and I read about me. Said I've been a prisoner and God's grace that set me free. And somewhere between the pages, it hit me like a lightning bolt. Saw a big frontier in front of me. church. A little blast from the past. Some of you probably have no idea what we were doing just now, but about 35 years ago, that was like one of the biggest Christian hits to hit the radio and 
got rejuvenated about three years ago, so kind of fun to, to do that. But we'd like to welcome you this morning in Grand Rapids E-Free. If you are visiting or joining us online, actually it wouldn't be online because we don't do the second service online anymore. So, but a special welcome to you, but uh, every Sunday morning we start things out with worship. So if you're able, please stand and join us.
morning. Happy 4th of July. Woohoo! <laughs> there was more fireworks last night than I ever remembered. My name is Ron Killian. I'm one of the elders here. A special welcome to you if you're a guest. I'm glad you chose to join us on this holiday weekend. Um, if you would just take a moment and fill out a connect card. Um, they're very simple, just a way for us to note that you are here. You can drop it in the offering boxes back there or at the Welcome Center. Also, um, if you need prayer, which we all do, um, on the back you can fill that out and you can designate it just to the elders or the whole church. So what a privilege it is to pray for you and continue praying for us as leaders. So. Only two things made the bulletin this week. Um, that doesn't mean there's not a lot going on. Um, the church will be, office will be closed this week for the 4th, uh, so note that. And installation service for Pastor Micah will be on July 31st, and Dave Lindy will be a special guest speaker and introducing that um, installation, so. Um, like I said, there's a lot of other announcements that didn't make the bulletins, men ministry, uh, brats, beans, and bags on uh, Thursday, July 21st. Um, there's also an opportunity for child dedication. If you'd like to have your child dedicated, there's a sign-up sheet out there, and that'll be on July 10th. Um, so check out our website, grsc.org, for other things that weren't listed in here. There's, like I said, a lot going on that might pertain to you. Um, I'll leave it at that, so let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, do lift our nation up to you as we celebrate our independence, and uh, we have so much to be thankful for, for our freedom, Father. 
and opportunity to gather together and worship your name. But most of all, Father, I want to thank you for the freedom we have in you. That uh, because of your son, his great sacrifice on the cross, those that have chosen to accept you and what you have done, we have the greatest freedom of all, Father. And my heart and my prayer is that there's a lot of people that are hurting and, and don't know you. Our nation, I pray for a revival in that. But most of all, Father, that we do revive our hearts and make us bold to speak to those that need to hear you and what you've done for them. Many burdens, Father, we lay at your feet, but we also want to praise you for your greatness and your love for us and your grace and your mercy you pour out on us each day. Thank you, Father. As Steve comes and shares your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just open it to our hearts and our minds, take what we need from it, learn from it, and be able to share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning once again. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet yet personally, uh, I'm Steve. I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship here at Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church. Now, this morning, as we spend our time together, I, I want to start by asking us all a question. And it's an important question, but if we're honest, it's a question that I don't think we often take time to wrestle with or to think about. And I understand what I'm talking about, even where we're going this morning, this applies to me too. So this is a question even for me this morning. Here's the question. What are the day-to-day -day and week-by-week -week rhythms that we're living in, and why? Now... I think for most of us, this is actually even a hard question to consider, much less answer. And in part, I think it's because for most of us, the main bulk of our life rhythms are actually set for us. See, if we're a working adult, a big part of our life is our job, right? And with the job that we're working comes certain expectations and rhythms of what our regular day, day-to-day -day life, and what our week-to-week -week lives look like. And really, it, it flows out of the fact that we're workers. Now, understand this also applies to you if you're a student. Now, students, when you're in school, uh, you have day-to-day -day rhythms, you have week-by-week -week rhythms that come as a part of the school year, and it's simply because you're students. However, we have to remember, these aren't the only rhythms in our lives. There are areas that get less structured and, and sometimes more confusing. And so these are, these are the rhythms that we choose based on our desires, our relationships, and even the roles we have within a family setting. It might include things like this, how much time we spend with our family, or what extracurriculars we go to as students, and which ones we help students go to as parents or grandparents. And sometimes we feel like we set these rhythms, and at other times, and maybe even most of the time, we feel like those rhythms set us. But it's still important for us all, no matter our age, to both ask and consider what are the day-to-day -day and week-by-week -week rhythms that we are living in and why. 
Now, for some of us, hearing this question, your defenses might actually already be going up. Uh, you might already be developing the expectation that you're about to hear what you should or should not be doing with your time. That's not where we're going this morning. That's not where we're going this morning. Instead, we're going to spend our time going this morning and jumping into and considering Jesus' rhythms, his rhythms. And what's even more important as we wrestle with this, it's not the rhythms themselves, but rather it's the identity that each life rhythm flows from and how they shape Jesus' life and how they can shape our lives too. And so while we walk through this, we're certainly going to be asking questions that apply to us all along. But understand this, each question is simply an opportunity for us to pause and bring the question to Jesus and, go, and listen to him and say, okay, how, how do you want us to respond to this? What do, what do you have for us in this? So before we jump in this morning, let, let's pause, and let's turn to God and, and ask that he would speak and open our hearts to him this morning to hear from him. Let's just do this again. Jesus, we thank you that you love us uh, and that you're here with us. And we ask that as you're, you have gathered us together this morning, that you would, you would open our hearts to hear from you that you would help us to consider the life rhythms that you've given us, but more so, that you would show us and remind us of the identity that we have because of you, because of our relationship with you. So Jesus, just guide us uh, and open our hearts and, and show us more and more of who you are, I pray in your name. Amen. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at a critical moment in Jesus' life from Luke 6, 12 through 19. And to give you a little bit of an, an idea of what's going on here, this is a launch pad moment for Jesus as he steps into full ministry. And, and it's actually where we see some rhythms of Jesus' life on display as we get a little bit of a glimpse into a, an important day in the life of Jesus. So before we even start jumping into things and, and looking at what's happening here, let's, we're just simply going to read together. And, and we're going to go all the way through, and then we're going to cycle back. So here's what it says, starting in Luke 6, 12. In these days, he, this is, this is Jesus, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his, his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, uh, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, here we have a snapshot of a moment in Jesus' life but it's so critical about this moment is that it brings together and it actually exposes some life rhythms that Jesus already had in place as he trans transitions into full public ministry. So as we read this, it really invites us to consider two questions. What do we see of Jesus' life rhythms? And, and what do we not see? So let's read this again, and we're going to do so to kind of see the, the heart and the nature of what Jesus' rhythms are. So verse 12 again. In, those, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. 
Okay, so what's, what's the first thing we see here, right? Jesus is spending time praying and talking with God. It's pretty simple and straightforward, right? So, so let's keep going. That's, that's the first rhythm. What, what else is going on here? Verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. And here's the 12 guys, right? Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So we got brothers here, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. I mean, okay, dude who's already got a reputation. And then we have Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay. It's kind of a ragtag, weird group of guys together that he brought together. But what's the next thing we see, right? So Jesus, after spending time with his father, he calls together his disciples, and on this specific occasion, he picks out 12 of them and invites them into a special relationship with him, where they actually become his apostles, his sent ones. Okay, so let's go on to the final piece here. That, that, those were the first two rhythms, and now we got a third one here. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which, by the way, is like outside of Israel, uh, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So what do we see happening next, right? What's going on here? Jesus, with his disciples, go. And they go to a multitude of people and start caring for them, which includes spending time with them. He's talking with them, and he's caring for them, which included healing them. So we see this stuff in action. And so let's jump back to the two questions that we narrowed in on to see what's happening here a little bit. Question one, what do we see of Jesus' life rhythms? And what do we not see? Okay, so let's start with what we don't see mentioned here. We don't see specific details mentioning which, Je which mountain Jesus went up on to pray. We also didn't get like a geographical look tag of like, where on the mountain Jesus is praying? That'd be pretty sweet because we could go and check it out, but we didn't get that, right? But what we do get, what is clear, is that Jesus had a rhythm of going up there to pray because it says Jesus went up on the mountain. Okay, so clearly we're actually kind of expected to know what the mountain is. But here's something else we don't see. We don't see any details about if Jesus brought any food up with him. So Jesus, he's spending an all-nighter, right? He's getting up there, he's talking with God, and it kind of leaves you a question like, hey, do we have snack food? Do we have like, is he bringing something up with him? Like, He's going up on a mountain to pull an all-nighter, so you'd hope, right, or think, hey, maybe at least he should be bringing like a can of Mountain Dew. Like, what, what a better time to bring a Mountain Dew than when you're going up to pray and talk to Jesus on a mountain, right? But we don't get that either. So let's broaden the situation out a, a little bit here. See, if we were to read any details that Luke gives us, so if we were to go all the way back to the beginning of Luke and read all the way up to chapter 6, which is where we are this morning, are these details the kind of details that Luke emphasizes as being great importance to Jesus? So details like this. See, we know that Jesus eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We, we know Jesus would need to take baths and, and do laundry. But are these the rhythms that are focused on or emphasized? 
And remember this, of all the writers of the New Testament, if there was a particular writer who would emphasize and be a super detail-oriented person, it would be Luke. He was a doctor. He loved details. But he doesn't give those to us because they're not really the point. So it leaves us to ask this question, what is emphasized? What is focused on? Relationships. Over and over and over again, relationships. And what's more, it's not just any kind of relationships, but it's actually three specific groups of relationships. So let's actually go back again and keep an eye out for what relationships Jesus focuses on and even the order in which these relationships impact each other. So verse 12 again says this, In these days he went up to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So we're going to ask this question a couple times. This, here's the question. Who is Jesus relating with? Who is Jesus relating with? And while we read here that it specifically says God, we can actually take that a little bit further based on how Jesus has described his relationship with God up to this point in Luke. And it's this. Jesus is spending time in his relationship with his Father. That's really important. He's spending time with his Father. And so this is Jesus' first relational rhythm, being with his Father. And this rhythm flows out of Jesus' identity as his Son. And this relationship, it actually spills over into the very next rhythm of Jesus, which we see in verse 13. So here's 13. When day came, so Jesus spent all night with his father, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So question, who is Jesus relating with here? Again, we, are, we could give the specifics of his disciples or, or his apostles, but again, these aren't just any guys to Jesus. If they were, it, we might actually ask the question, like why Jesus would, would have prayed so hard specifically to name them apostles. These guys, the, these 12 guys, became and were Jesus' community. And as Jesus bonded with them and they with him, this community flow, flowed out of an identity that they were given as family. And those relationships spilled over into the very next relational rhythm of Jesus, which we see in 17 and 18. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great magnitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So again, who is Jesus relating to here? Now it says, a great crowd of his disciples and a, magnitude, a great magnitude of people from literally all over. Like, they came from all over. This is Jesus being with all kinds of people who aren't his disciples, even though he had his disciples with them. See, but he was out with these people who were being loved and cared for. One way to say this is Jesus had a regular and intentional rhythm of being out with the crowds. And really, when we talk about crowds, it isn't because Jesus did or did not like being in large groups of people. The size of the group of people wasn't the point. But rather, what Jesus was doing was flowing out of his identity as being one who was sent by the Father to the world. 
He was a sent one. So let me put these three rhythms up on the screen. These are Jesus' relational rhythms. It was being with his father, being with his community, and being with the crowds, being with those who didn't yet know him. Now, if we were to stop here this morning, it would leave us with a lot of unanswered questions. See, it's one thing to say that Jesus had a rhythm of being with his father, but it doesn't tell us what this relationship is like or how that flows from his, from his identity, does it? It also doesn't tell us if we share those identities or invite us into living Jesus' rhythms. So we need to keep going. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig into these relational rhythms one at a time, unpack what they look like, ask the question of if we share that identity, and how that may or may not invite us to live like Jesus. So let's start with the first one. Let's jump into Jesus' relationship with the Father. What does that look like? What does Jesus' relationship with the Father look like? So we have this this situation in verse 12 where Jesus is pulling this all-nighter in prayer with God. Now, let me ask you a quick question here because it helps us unpack the quality of Jesus' relationship with his Father. Now, if we were to pause here for a moment and pretend like we get to listen in on what's happening in this prayer time between Jesus and the Father, what do we expect that prayer time might look like? What do we expect that conversation might be? Would it be a big list of Jesus saying things like this? God, would you, would you do, like, would you make it easy so I know, like, do they ask me? Like, Jesus is asking, like, could you do stuff for me, God? Is that what he would do? Or maybe would he pray something like, God, would you show me, like, which guys are the right guys? And he probably could be asking that. Or, or maybe it's something like this, God, would you help me do your will? Was that what it would sound like? Would it, would the conversation feel formal? Like, or would it feel kind of distanced relationally from him? Would it, would it feel intimate and personal? Would it be a one-way talk? Or, or would it be a communication back and forth? See, what do we suppose that conversation might have been like? Now, you might be going, that seems like a really silly question, right? Because after all, we don't see anything written down in this text about what is said here or how it's said. And you're right, it doesn't say that here. But if we flip back in Luke just a little bit, we see a lot about the quality of Jesus' relationship with his Father. So we're actually going to flip back to Luke 3.22. And this is a critically important moment in Jesus' life. And here's what it says. This is, God, this, this is a situation where Jesus is baptized and we get to see God's heart and, and God's view of Jesus in action here. Here's what it says. The Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with, whom, or with you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. This is a powerful moment where God the Father speaks directly to Jesus and it speaks of Jesus' identity, his son, and his his relationship with him, his beloved son. Jesus is his beloved son. And Jesus is deeply and powerfully loved by the Father. See, God the Father, he didn't have to say this about Jesus, but he did it because he wanted to. 
See, God the Father, he wasn't distant or standoffish in his relationship with Jesus. He wasn't formal with him. He was filled with love and affection and delight over him. In the Father's eyes, this is simply who Jesus is, the beloved Son. And in the same way, Jesus wanted and delighted in being in time with his Father, even all night. So let's, let's look at Jesus' side of this. Like, that's how the Father views Jesus. Does Jesus actually do the same in return? So we're actually going to jump back another chapter forward. So we're going to actually go to Luke 2 when we get a snapshot of Jesus as a boy. See, Jesus, he, he and his family are taken to a, a festival and they go to the temple area. And Jesus continues to hang out with his father while his parents, Mary and Joseph, and the rest of the family, they start heading home. They start going home. And his parents, as, as they start walking home, they freak out because Jesus isn't with them. They suddenly realize they're like, I don't know if they're halfway home or they're, they're on their way and they're looking for Jesus and they can't find him. And so eventually they start looking for him and they find him in the temple and they try to scold him because they're freaking out. And then Jesus responds to his parents and we find him saying something that's a little shocking to us. He says this to his parents, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? See, Jesus, he wanted to be with the Father because he was his son. Now, these two moments in Jesus' life give us a snapshot of the kind of relationship that they have between Jesus and the Father. Even as Jesus is praying overnight, as he looks forward to and, and is asking him, who are these 12 guys, who are these 12 apostles going to be? So the conversation would have been one of love, of affection, of listening and speaking, and, and certainly asking on Jesus' part, but at the core, there would be a joy in simply being with each other. And we go, why? Like, why, why would that be the case? Because Jesus was God's son, and God was Jesus' father. Being God's beloved son was at the very core of Jesus' identity. And it leaks out of him so much that we hear it over and over and over again, even in his prayer life. See, here's, a, here's one of several examples of, Jesus, of this coming out as Jesus is praying. This is from John 17. He says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see the glory you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. See, even before anything else existed, Jesus knew he was deeply loved by the Father and it shaped him to the core of who he is. And so because of this identity, Jesus had a foundational relational rhythm in his life. He delighted in being with his father. So here's the big question for us. Is this an identity that we share with Jesus? Is that something he would say of us? And John, or 1 John 3, 1 and 2 gives us a pretty straightforward answer to this question. Here's what it says. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And then it says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. Let me say that again. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but, what we, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
if we belong to Jesus, if we have given our hearts and lives to him, we absolutely share this identity. Because of Jesus, we too are beloved children of God, adopted into his family, which means that we can relate to God the Father the way that Jesus does. And even more astonishingly, we are viewed and loved by God the Father with the same love, with the same love that he has for Jesus. We are his and he is ours. We share this identity with Jesus. So here are some questions for us. Do we really believe that God views us this way? Do we, do we deep down, do we, do we really believe that? What's more, do we view God this way, having this kind of love and affection towards us? Do, do we believe that? And catch this, regardless of if we do or do not, it doesn't change the reality of how God wants to relate with us. Now here, I, I want to just give us an invitation this morning to live like Jesus. What if we did this? What if this week we were to begin each day simply by asking this question to God and genuinely asking this. God, would you help me know you more as my heavenly father today? Would you help me know you more as my heavenly father today? And then as we go through the week, I think we'll see something happen. See, watch as God shapes our response to him and our desires to be with him every day. See, remember, Jesus' relational rhythm with the Father flows out of his identity as his son. And in the same way, our relational rhythms with the Father can flow out of our identities as his son or daughter, his beloved son or daughter. That's Jesus' first relational rhythm and is foundational. Let's turn to the next one and unpack that a bit. Namely, Jesus' relational rhythm of being in community. So you remember the first thing that Jesus does after that all-nighter with the Father is to officially solidify a community of people who will be a part of his family and ultimately his mission. Luke 6.13. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. These are the guys who Jesus would travel with. He'd take road trips, day trips. They're the ones who would share explanations of what his teaching was when people were confused or what, what was going on there. They'd come to him with questions and he would answer them. They're who he would love fully and deeply, who would get to hear him pray regularly. And, and catch this, they're the people who we would spend holiday celebrations with. These were the guys who Jesus told everything to. And of these guys, Jesus has three closest friends. And they were there with Jesus because he wanted them there as he talked with the Father the night before he went to the cross. Jesus invited these guys with him in one of the hardest moments in his life as he's preparing to die for us. And that relationship reality was so much the case that one of his disciples, John, who was one of these three guys, who is also the writer of the fourth, fourth book of the New Testament, when he speaks of himself, does not call himself John, but he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. It marked his identity. 
and it, was a part, it flowed out of being in community and family with him. It's hard to understate just how important being community and spiritual family is to Jesus. So what about us? Do we share this identity with Jesus' disciples as being his family? And are we family with each other too, or are we just family with Jesus? And, and there are so many places that this picture of being a spiritual family shows up, Old Testament and New Testament, it's everywhere. But we're going to touch on just, I just want to touch two briefly. So in another situation, Jesus' biological family shows up. Uh, Jesus is out teaching. They're, they're, his family's a little concerned for him. They're going to try to take him back home. And Jesus makes a response about family and a statement about family that is somewhat and, and truly shocking culturally even in that day. And he answers and says this. He says this in Luke 8, 21. He says this, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He just redefined what family was. And he made his followers family. See, this identity was so rooted in the early disciples' understanding of who they are that Paul writes this in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 about how with God as our Father, we too are a spiritual family that is to be growing in love that we too would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And it happens in community. It happens in family. So here's the question for us, and really an invitation. See, God has given us one another, sons and daughters of him, brothers and sisters of each other. We're already a family because of him, which means we don't have to do life alone, and we don't have to be alone. See, Jesus is inviting us to have relationships and calling us to relationships with him and each other, just like he had with his disciples. So the question and the invitation is, are we willing to invest into and give ourselves to others like he did? Are we willing to invest in and give ourselves to others like he did? Are we willing to be one another's family? So here's the invitation to something to pray. If God's stirring you on this rhythm this morning, if this is the one where it's like, God, man, you're, you're speaking to me here. Maybe pray this. God, would you help me see how I view myself in relationship to community? God, would you help me see, my, see how I view myself in relationship to community? And would you help me to truly become close with your family. Remember, Jesus' relational rhythm with community flows out of his identity of being family. And so to our relational rhythm with community can flow out of our identity of being his family. Now, those are Jesus' rhythms with the Father and his community, but his rhythms don't end with those two relationships. In fact, those rhythms lead to the third relationship. And, and it talks about being with the crowds. See, in Luke 6, we see Jesus out caring for and being with people who wanted to know more about him. And, and regardless of if they were coming to get something from Jesus, as, as some of them were, or if they were simply checking him out, Jesus spent time with them. Now, 
in my current Bible read-throughs, I got a couple students that we're meeting with and we're reading through the Bible together. And one of the things that stood out to me as we're going through this at a, at a decent pace, it stood out over and over again, is that when Jesus looks out at the crowds, it says this, he had compassion on them. He saw them and had compassion on them. And his compassion resulted in actions towards them. He cared for them, even when we might expect him in that situation to call it quits, call it out for the day, say, dude, I'm done. Like, I've, had, I've been with you guys three days. Or, man, I just lost my cousin. Or whatever it was. When we expect he would call it quits, Jesus presses in and has compassion. And it was because of who he was. And Matthew 14, 14 would be one example. See, this being out, living with those who don't know him, it was a drumbeat to Jesus' life. And it wasn't forced. It wasn't out of duty. It wasn't because he was supposed to. It was simply out of love for them. And, and what's more, Jesus isn't doing what we might expect he would. He wasn't just hanging out with the safe people or the people who were coming to him or the good people. But over and over again, he was found with the people that no one else wanted to be with. He lived life with them too. And, and catch this, he brought his disciples with them, or with him. And it was so much so that Jesus actually earned a label. See, Jesus in Luke 7.34 says this, and, and remember, this is actually in the future of what we're doing. So this is a chapter past where we are this morning. It says, Jesus says this, the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He earned a reputation. And it leads us to ask a question. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do this? Why would he risk his reputation? Why would he risk the reputation of his disciples on that because it flowed out of Jesus' identity as one who was sent. It's 1 John 4, 9. It says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was shown among us. It was revealed among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Jesus' life was marked by radical other-centeredness that revealed to others what his father was like. He was about living scent. It was a part of his identity, and it was reflected in the relational rhythms of his life. But the question is, is this an identity that we, too, share? Do we share that? Now, for some of us, I hope as you hear this, you, you're probably, you already know the answer. In fact, some of us might already be getting ready to jump to like Matthew 28, because we go there a lot, where Jesus reminds his disciples that, of the mission that he was sent on, that Jesus is sending them on to. So keep that in mind, but I'm actually going to jump to a much simpler text, a much simpler example. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples as he's just coming back to them after he was raised from the dead and, and coming back to them for the first, one of the first times. He says this in John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, everything that was, in, was included in that, even so, I'm sending you. Let me do that again. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Now, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come on up here. Um, but uh, as, we, as we kind of wrap up and look at some of this stuff together. See, if we're followers of Jesus, do we share in his identity as being a people who are sent? We absolutely do. Individually, we're sent. As groups, we're sent. As one big community, we're sent. And, and we're not just sent to each other, to, to those who maybe already know Jesus, but to those around us who don't yet know the love of Jesus or the love of the Father. So here's the question for us, for all of us. Do we believe that we are sent? Is this how we see ourselves as followers of Jesus? Are we willing to let Jesus not only send us as he goes with us, are we willing to not only send us, but even if are we willing to go with him, even if that means that we get the reputation of being friends of sinners? Those people who other people don't hang out. Are, are we okay if that becomes our reputation? Now, I think most of us are, which leaves us with a simple invitation. See, if this, if this is an area or the area this morning where God is stirring you, what relational rhythms in your life is he inviting you to live into the identity of being one who is sent? Remember, Jesus' relational rhythm with the crowds flowed out of his identity of being sent. Our relational rhythm with the crowds or people who don't yet know Jesus can also flow from an identity of being sent by him and with him. So as we enter into a time of singing to close, I invite us all, take a moment and ask God a simple question. See, we looked at these three rhythms this morning. Which of these three rhythms is he inviting you to live into more deeply this week? Not, not, to, not to force it on your own, but just to let him draw you into this, to him, him to invite you into this. So ask this question, and how might Jesus want you to respond to him? And what does that look like for you? And I encourage you, ask that question, turn to him, and let's listen to him. We can listen while we're singing and as we step out into the rest of the day, but listen to him, ask that question. We might not get an answer right away. We might. But let him speak. Listen to him. And I think he'll show, he'll show us. He'll say, okay, let's press into this, and I'm going with you in this because he loves us and he is good. Let's sing. Let's listen to Jesus. Stand as we continue in worship.
we are your beloved. Thank you, that, uh, thank you, Father, that we have made major children. Thank you that you poured, our, poured your love into our hearts by the Spirit. Jesus, thank you that we get to do community with you. We get to be family because of you. And thank you that we get to go on mission with you. Jesus, remind us over and over again of the identity that we have because of you. And thank you that you are good. Thank you that we get to see you in your word. We get to see you in action through other, through our family and our spiritual family. Jesus, just show us where you want us to press in this week. And thank you for being with us. Amen. Go with him this week. Let him show you where you need to go. Because he's there with you already. Have a great week.